Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Vertical Church Online. We are so happy that you're watching along with us this morning. We're so excited today to hear Pastor Brian talk about what it looks like when you put first things first in your marriage. It's been a great first part of the year already. God has been moving here in our midst, changing us, transforming lives in those who have been willing to put first things first. And I get to hear the stories behind the scenes of individual lives and marriages and whole families where first things first is absolutely transforming us right now while it's happening. It's a beautiful thing that God is doing. How many of you remember playing the game growing up, whenever it was time to go to the car and you've got friends with you, siblings with you, and you wanted to sit front seat with whoever the driver was, you know what the game was, you called shotgun, right? That's what you do. You call shotgun and then that meant you got to sit front seat with the driver. Whoever's driving, you got to sit front seat with them. Everybody else, back. You're in the back seat. It's funny how that game works because, um, you know, there's no police force that enforces it. You know, there's no one that comes along and says, you have to follow these rules. It's like whoever called shotgun, everybody else was like, yeah, you really, you, you got the front seat, man. I'm, out. I'm not going to say anything, you know, and they just did. It just happened. You know, parents don't have to police it or force it to make it happen. We're trying to say not make it happen, but you know, the kids are doing it anyway. I really didn't get to play that game growing up because I was the only child. So I was always backseat. So if one of my parents wasn't going somewhere, I did get the front seat, but I never got to play shotgun much growing up. But now that I had kids, or when I had kids, five of them, there was always going to be shotgun called. You know, someone wanted to sit up front if Heather wasn't along for the ride. And sometimes even then, they were trying to get her position. So the other funny thing about it is that there began to be rules about how shotgun was played. So the rules began to be, at least in our house, you couldn't call it until you had gone out the back door. You had to be you know, crossing the threshold. You can't call it in the house. You can't call it earlier in the day. You have to be out the threshold of the door, and then you could call shotgun. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, you're right. Hey, you're out the door. Hey, you're right. So it's a funny thing how that all worked. And then 
Later on, after my kids are older, I learned that there's another addition. You know, there's a subset, category 2A rule kind of thing that the driver, if he so chooses to, can actually say, reload. And if the driver says reload, then it's all off. Whatever you call doesn't count anymore. There's no more called seats and you have to call shotgun all over again. So that puts some power in the driver's hand all of a sudden. Now you could, if for some reason you just want to throw them all a curveball, you just say reload. And then they all had to scramble and say shotgun again. And then it could totally upset the order and put someone else in that front seat spot. It all changed the order if you called reload. You know, it's a funny thing in walking with Christ. As you begin this journey, you begin to put him first. You begin to put first things first. There are some times that he calls us to a new level of surrender. He calls us to the next level of rearranging our life to put him first. And we discover there are some areas where maybe we have been the one sit in front when he says, no, I need you back. And we think, oh my, I have totally gotten my life out of order. I've gotten things in the wrong set of priorities. The great news of the gospel is, is that Jesus says over us, reload, here's your moment. This is your time to put things back in order. So let me give this parentheses before we start this morning into our message. What you're going to hear today may bring up some things from your past that may cause you to say, oh, ooh, mm, I have really messed some things up. If that happens today, know this. There is a Savior who came to die, to pay for your sins so that they might be forgiven, washed, and removed from you. You get an opportunity at reload. All right? So this morning... If God convicts you of something, accept his forgiveness for it and let's move on. Let's be more concerned about what's next than all about what's past, all right? Because that's what Jesus came for, to forgive and heal, and he also came for what's next, amen? He did this, the Bible says, God did this, sent his son so that in all things he might have the preeminence. He might have the first place. He became the Lord over all. He became the head of the church. He was the Lamb of God who took away our sins. He rose victorious over death. He's seated forever at the right hand of the Father in his place of glory. He has put us in him when we believe. So we are seated there with him at the place of favor and inheritance and joy and life. And in all of that, we say to him, oh, you are first place. All of this shows that you really, you have the preeminence. You have the first place. The glory belongs to you. And God has given us tangible ways of living this out in our life. Tangible ways for us to put first things first. The Bible tells the story of from the early pages of how he called for his people to put first things first. To take the first of whatever they received and give it to him. If a child was born to a, a couple... That child belonged to the Lord's service. If an animal was born into a farmer's 
property, that animal belonged to the Lord to do what God said do with it. If you received increase of any kind, it was to be given as a first fruits to God. It was a way of showing ownership. God, you own it, not me. What you have is first, not what I want. And all these tangible ways in scripture play out. The tithe is a picture of the first parts being given to God. Not the last parts, not the leftover parts, not the part that we didn't want, not the lesser parts, but the first, the greatest, the best. The first belongs to him. And we have been looking for the past several weeks at what this means. And when it when it comes into areas in our life where it might rub up against what's comfortable for us, we choose what he says first. So last week, we looked at that very poignant verse that said, when you bring your gift to the altar, and there you remember, when you are, in other words, when you're about to bring worship or an offering that you're giving to God, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, then you should leave your gift there. Stop what you're doing and go and make things right with your brother. Then come back and offer your gift. God says there are some things that should be first. And when they don't line up with what we were doing, we adjust our lives to fit what he says first. Now, I'll just give you a little tease toward the end of the service here last week. Last week, we ended our service with this very uh, unique moment where Jerry Phillips is standing up to pray and he, in honesty, says, I can't stand here and pray until I've done what this verse has said. He said, I need to go make something right. And he left out of the building to go take care of that and said, I'll come back after I have done that. Jerry's here today, and later today, you're going to get to hear the rest of the story, what happened after that. So there's just your teaser for later today in the service. So today, we venture into another area where God says, here is a very tangible, practical area where you are to put first things first, and this area is marriage. We're going to talk today about what it means to have a first things first marriage. In other words, this first in marriage. Here's some things that are significant that you must know, that you must do. It doesn't matter what you've seen along the way. It doesn't matter what you saw growing up. It doesn't matter what you say is comfortable to you, what you like, don't like, how you want it, how you don't want it. No, as followers of Jesus, we come and we say, Lord, what you say is first. Even if it goes counter to what I might want, I will put you first. I will do the first things first. In other words, my opinion, my expectations, my wants, they don't get to drive. They got to get in the back. They don't get to call shotgun. All right? What Jesus has said should be first in marriage is what rides shotgun. And that's what we are all here to do today. So turn with me in your scripture to Ephesians 5. You've got your Bible with you. You've got a Bible app with you, whatever it might be. Ephesians 5 is where we are today. And I'll tell you the obvious up front. Ephesians 5 comes after Ephesians 1 through 4. There you go. There's your big moment this morning. It really is quite profound when you think about it because Ephesians 1 through 4 is all about who Jesus is and what Jesus has accomplished and what we have in him. 
And until you really understand Ephesians 1, 2, 3, and 4, you're going to find it very awkward and difficult to do what Ephesians 5 says. So in some ways, I'm sorry we're starting at 5 today because if you, haven't, if you don't know 1 through 4, you're going to be like, oh, that's hard. And I'm going to say, well, go back and check out 1 through 4. You're going to get your answers for how to do this. But Ephesians 5, Paul is writing, uh, and he gives some very practical, tangible advice, not just advice, but teaching truth about how we are to live in our marriages, what first things first looks like. And these aren't suggestions. This is not um, talk show material. This is truth from scripture. This is first things first life. And Paul tells us how we are to live. Let's start in verse 22. If at any point you hear something this morning that just rubs your fur the wrong way, stay with me for just a moment, okay? Don't don't tune me out. Stay with me all the way to the end. Everybody good with that? Yeah? Good. 22 and 23, wives, submit to your husbands, your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife as also Christ is head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Now, if that passage rubs you the wrong way, stay with me. There's a goal, there's a purpose here. And you and I must understand God's purposes before we work out our practices. Purposes, then our practices. You might say, well, I don't like that about submit. I don't like that head stuff. Well, I want to give you a picture this morning because God's word is timeless and true. It wasn't just effective back in the day in which it was written. It is effective and alive and true for today as it will be 20 years from now, 50 years from now, if Jesus has not returned and we are home with him. Amen. And in fact, it'll still be true then as well. All right. So here's the deal. By what we see already, God is giving a very powerful picture to husbands and wives. And we must understand this picture because this picture is the most powerful picture on earth for the reality of the gospel. The church is the messenger of the gospel, but prove me wrong, marriage is the most articulate picture on earth of what it means for God to love us and us to love God. It is the most powerful picture of the gospel on the planet. And when it's right, when it's good, when a couple is living in harmony with this, then their children, the family, the church, and the culture sees it and stands in all of it. I'm convinced that this is why marriages are under attack today. I'm convinced that this is why male gender and female gender are under attack today. If you can pervert and destroy the two genders and the function of which they were called together in in marriage, then you have distorted and perverted the message of the gospel itself. You have weakened its power. You have destroyed destroyed the image that it is meant to picture and it causes confusion in the land and no one finds the gospel credible when the picture is broken down. So that is the first thing we see here in this passage and Paul's just going to keep hitting it over 
over and over again in every verse we read today. There is a picture and a purpose for marriage. It's not about what you want. It's about what he's designed it for. As followers, we come to do what he's called it, not what we want it to be. Amen? And he says the picture here is this. Husbands, you have a role. Your role is to be the example to your wife, to your kids, to your neighbors, to the church, to the culture of what it looks like when God loves people, especially his church. This kind of sacrificial, driven, purposeful, initiating, driving love that will not relent, that does not give up, that does not walk away. Husbands, this is our call. Wives, this is your role, is to be a picture of what it looks like when a man, a person, the church responds to God's love. You are the picture to your kids, to your husband, to your family, to the church, and to the culture. My life is what it looks like to respond to Jesus' love. When those two people, a husband and wife, are assuming those roles and those things go first, then it presents a beautiful, timeless, powerful picture to the culture. When you understand the picture, then you can understand the purpose, and then we can work out the practice. Amen? So, wives, this is not some power play. This is not a message that says you are less. This is not a message that says a husband is more important, greater, more intelligent, wise, or stronger than you. In fact, Jesus and the New Testament writers had more to do to liberate women than perhaps anyone else since then. And here, they are elevated to the point of saying, you have a very, very powerful role. You picture what it looks like for humanity to respond to the love of God. This is your purpose. So now I'm going to read it one more time with all this in mind. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. There's not a period there. There's a comma. As also Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Verse 24. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. This does not mean you're a slave. This does not mean you're a servant. It means you are a very valued, significant, powerful role. You show to the world around you what it looks like to present your life and follow Jesus. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Husbands, you and I have a very important role Our role is to be a picture of the sacrificial, passionate, definite love of Jesus for the church. Laying down your life, laying down your rights, making her your passion, making her your focus, making her the one that you say to, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is the role we have 
as husbands. And to help with all of this, Paul just keeps driving a theme. I want to skip down to verse 30, and I want you to see what he says here. He says, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. So Paul steps back over into the picture of us, the church, and Jesus. As Caleb pointed out this morning, the picture from Scripture is that Jesus is the groom and we are the bride. This verse says here that we came from him. Just in the same way that God created Adam, and then from Adam he created Eve, you and I, having been born again, have been created from Jesus. We've been taken from him. The glory that he is is from where we were recreated. And so this verse tells us we, in the same way that a husband and wife become one, we have become one with Christ. Already, it has already happened. You and I have been made one. There'll be a day in heaven one day when the reality of what we pray and faith and wait for will become sight. But you and I are engaged to him in a way that has already put us together in covenant. He will never leave you or forsake you. You don't have to worry if you put your faith in him that one day he's going to say, you know, I'm just afraid this isn't working out for me and you, you know, it's you, not me. That's not going to happen with Jesus. That's not going to happen with you. You have entered into a permanent covenant with him. You and I have been made one with him. And this is the important message. You and I sinners, you and I weak, you and I frail, you and I doing our own thing, rejecting him, pushing him away. He pursued us. He loved us. He did more than bring us chocolate and roses. He came and laid down his life. He took on himself our weakness, our failures, our guilt, our shame. He took the death that we deserve and he died with that guilt on him to pay for our sin, resurrected on the third day to rise and be victorious forever with the Lord in the air. We will one day meet him. And this is a relationship you and I have entered into. This is who we are now, members of his body. Verse 31, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, all of a sudden, this verse has context. All of a sudden, this verse has meaning. All of a sudden, marriage is seen for what it truly is meant to be, a picture of Jesus and the church. This is its highest purpose and calling. Oh, you thought you just met your wife or your husband and fell in love and it was sweet and you wanted to have kids and you want to spend your life together? Great, but I'm telling you, God has a purpose grander than perhaps you realized. There is something majestic and glorious about this union that you now share. Verse 32, this is a great mystery, Paul says, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. He just keeps bringing it back around. You can think you're just in this marriage, just the two of you. I have a bigger purpose. God says, I have a big picture I'm painting here. Marriage is a powerful picture on the planet of my purpose in redeeming man. Don't mess with the picture. Don't alter the image. 
Don't distort it. Don't destroy it. Don't deny it. Live in pursuit of it. Now, this means something for you and I. This means in our marriage, we might have to change some things. This means we might have to alter some things because we want to put first things first. Mm. Last verse, and we're going to talk about what all this means. Verse 33, nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband because you are a picture. Mm. This is first. First things first. This means in all that we say, do, think, choose, feel, he goes and chooses what's first. You don't get the option of saying, well, that's all nice and stuff. It doesn't apply to me. No, it does apply to you. You don't get the option of saying, but I don't like doing that. It doesn't matter. You don't get the option of saying, well, that just feels uncomfortable. It doesn't matter. You think the cross was comfortable? It all is his model, his purpose, his picture here. So as Jesus followers, we say, you know what? It's not about me. It's not about what I want. And you say, well, I, but I didn't grow up seeing a good model. Well, that's okay. You have a new model now in heaven, Jesus himself. He'll teach you. He'll lead you. His spirit is in you. You can do this. So we really, none of us, no one here in this room this morning has an excuse. Amen? It doesn't matter where we've come from, what we've seen, what we've done in our past. It doesn't matter what we did, all our failings, as I told you earlier, all of that has been forgiven, washed, and now from this point forward, we're going to do what Jesus says he calls us to do. We are going to put first things first, especially when it comes to marriage. Amen? You with me so far? All right. Very good. Let's talk about what this looks like for a husband and wife. A couple of statements this morning I think will help. First of all is this. In his attitude... Words and actions, a husband must first love his wife like the Savior Jesus loves his bride. Now, if you want to write that down, please do. If you want to take a picture of it, please do. I want you to hold on to this. Ladies, there's one coming for you here in just a moment. So you can take a picture of that. So this means, guys and ladies, I would encourage you while I talk to the guys, pray for them. Don't nudge them. All right? Fair enough. They need your prayer and encouragement, not your elbow and knee to poke them. So, guys, what this means is that when we have expectations in marriage, when we have our ideas of what ought to be first and how it ought to go, it means first things first says, it's not about my expectations, it's about his expectations now. I yield who I am, what I am to him. I'm going to let this be represented by some boxes this morning. So let's, let's start with this. Everybody comes into marriage with expectations about what it's going to be like, guys, about how she's going to relate to us, how she'll show love to us, how she'll spend money or not. All of those things, how she'll keep the house, how you'll spend your free time together, how much you'll vacation, how much she'll work or not work, all of those things, how many children you're going to have, what life will be like around the home, what life will be like in the bedroom. You have all these expectations that you bring to the table. And you have desires as well. 
You have built into you some desires about what you really want from her, what speaks love to you. We've had that framed for us in this generation by love languages. You may have read about those, looked at those. We all have these desires and expectations about how we'll be loved, what we want, what we want her to say to us, what we want her to do with us and for us, how we want her to relate to us, whether I like gifts as my love language or I like quality time, all of those things. We all come into marriage with those things. We come in with a way that we communicate as well. We come in with a way of how we express our words. We come in with a way of how we express ourselves. And maybe you saw a model growing up where as the husband, you were free to just say whatever you want, bark it out loud, yell when you needed to. And now all of a sudden you come into marriage and you find that really doesn't work all that well. It still feels good to you, but you realize it's now a Jesus follower. Everything else has to take a back seat to what Jesus says. And your yelling tirades don't fit in the box of good communication skills if you're going to be like Jesus. Amen? Yeah. So a guy also comes in with his own priorities about what life should be like. What should be first? What's most important? How we'll spend time, how we'll spend money, what life is going to be like at home and where we're going to go, what we're going to do down the road. What are those priorities? What are those goals? What are we going to have? As many children are going to have and all those kind of things. We bring those priorities into marriage. And these are all part of who we are. And a guy comes into marriage with all of this. And sometimes he tells his wife that. Sometimes he doesn't tell his wife that until they've gotten married. And all of a sudden she finds out what all these things are. And she's like, oh no. Right? That happens. And then God says, now, I have a role as well. And I want you to put me first in front of all these things. And we say, well, that's just tough because I don't know how to do that. I have a lot of expectations and I think they should go first. And if I have time to fit you in, Jesus, then, you know, maybe over here. But I, I got all this going on. I mean, I got my job and I got my life. I got my hobbies. I got my wants. I got to fish. I got to hunt. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do all this stuff. And, you know, if I have some time and if it's not too awkward enough, if it's not too uncomfortable, I might do some of those things, Jesus. I might move you over here in this category, maybe, but that's too much. Yeah, I'm just going to leave you just like that. Jesus, you're better separated from this deal. You're better just over here in your compartment. I like you on Sundays, the rest of the week. I don't know if I like you all that much because you challenge me too much. You know, you cause me to have to redo some things. And Jesus says, look, I've come to have preeminence. I've come to be the lead. I've come to be the one who sets the tone. I've come to be the one that you bring your first fruits to. So when you have your words that you want to speak to your wife, you need to let me be first before your words. If that means you need to pause on that comment for two minutes, five minutes, 30 minutes, or 30 days, you pause on it. Don't say it if it's not in line with showing your wife what it looks like for Jesus to love us. He goes first. You say, but I have a lot of desires. I mean, I just, I just feel stuff. And, and you say, I just have to express those and she ought to meet my desires and wants. Well, I'm sorry, that comes later. What Jesus says comes first in all things that he might have the preeminence. Well, what about my priorities and my own expectations? Well, for the Jesus-following man, what God says is first, and everything else falls in line as he 
says it should be. He takes the first place. This is what you and I are called to, men. This is our role. Husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church. Let me just ask the women, are you doing okay with praying for your husband right now, not elbowing him? I hope so. He's going to need some encouragement because some of this might be brand new to him. So he's going to need some real encouragement. He doesn't need your sarcastic tongue and wit and all that kind of stuff later to point out all his flaws. He knows those probably pretty well. So encourage and pray for him. So, But what has to go first, men, is Jesus. If you want to know how do I relate to my wife, well, you think about how Jesus relates to us as the church. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus is also the one who initiates love. Who do you think it is that initiates it when all of a sudden you feel yourself at odds, at distance with God? Is it you that comes to him? He says, no, (laughs) I loved you first. That's why you love me. So men, when there's reconciliation that needs to happen, that's on us to be the initiator Ladies, doesn't mean you can't, but men, I'm just going to tell you, from the scripture's perspective, the calling is for us to be the initiators of reconciliation. We are the ones that sit down and know how to bring peace, start the conversation, demonstrate love. We are the initiators. This is what Jesus has done for us. This is what we are to do in our marriage. Jesus initiates love. He initiates reconciliation. He initiates words of hope, and he gets all that he needs from his Father and not from us. Jesus isn't in heaven saying, oh, I hope Vertical Church prayed and sing to me today. I'm just feeling kind of badly today. I need some real encouragement. That's not how it happens. What Jesus gets, he gets from his father so that he can give it to us. Guys, I'm just going, I'm just going all straight today. Okay. Just straight on out there. Guys, if you're looking at your wife thinking, well, I need her to meet my needs. I'm sorry. It's not her role to meet your needs. It's the Father's role to meet your needs. And it's your job to meet her needs. If she happens to meet some of your needs, thank her and thank God. But if she doesn't, then you turn to God and he'll be the one to meet your needs. It's just what scripture says. There's no other way around the issue. In Christ, you and I men have been called to be initiators of love, initiators and icons of sacrifice. We're to be the spiritual leader. It's time for the generation that saw the ladies driving the spiritual bus in the home to end. It's time for the men to stand up and say, I will be a spiritual leader. I will initiate prayer. I will initiate spiritual conversations. I will be the one who brings the presence of Christ into our home. I will take that responsibility. I will lead. That's our role. Men, that is us. That's on a husband. We're to be the examples of righteousness, faithfulness, self-control. That's our call. We're to set the tone in the home. It's our children who want to see that. It's your wife who needs that security. And it begins when you provide it. You are created for more than just going out and working and coming home. 
You're created to have a work at home and sometimes you leave to go get some money and come back, but this is your role at home. This is who you are. You are the representative of Jesus Christ in your home. Lead, initiate, sacrifice, serve, step out, be the one who is the icon of Jesus in your home. Be the one who speaks hope. This happens when we put first things first. So I don't know how to do that. You get with God. You start spending time with him. You let that be how you start your week, start your day. And whatever he tells you in that time, use that to share with your wife. Use that to shape how you communicate. Use that to shape your priorities. Use that to shape your expectations. Be transformed by the first place choice of Jesus in your life. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's move on and talk about the role of wives. And guys, I'll give you the same instructions. This is not the time to elbow, knee, poke, make notes about what she ought to be doing. You've already had your moment where you've been given instructions by God. Now, pray for her as she understands what she's called to by God as well. It's a high and holy calling. So here's our statement. In her attitude, words, and actions, a wife must first love her husband like the chosen bride loves Jesus. This sets the tone for everything. Wives, in your home, in your marriage, before your children, your responsibility is to show them what it looks like for us to respond to the love of Jesus. So let's, um, let's put some of these out here then. So that means in your priorities, for example, the things that you want to accomplish, the things that you think should be first, the things that you want to see done, you have to bring all of those to the place where what Jesus wants is more important than what you want. The same is true with your own desires that you have. You've come into marriage with expectations. You've come in with this idea in your mind of how he's going to relate to you, how he's going to love you, what he's going to do, how much money you'll make, what kind of house you'll live in, how many children you'll have, what future will be like, what retirement will you have all of that in your heart. And what we're learning here in our first place, first things, first series is that, that all of these have to first come through the filter of what does it look like for a wife as she is loving her husband in the same way that we love Jesus. That means she brings her expectations as well. That means she brings her words as well. How she communicates, how she doesn't communicate, how she expresses herself, how she thinks, all of those things, her attitudes toward her husband. She has to bring all of those into the order of saying what Jesus says is first. First things first in my life. What Jesus says first so you give him your first words, you give him your first emotions, you give him your first impressions, you give him your first expectations. All of these belong to him. And you say, well, but if, if I do that, I just don't know what's going to happen next. Because sometimes, and let's just be honest, ladies, sometimes you feel like you can't trust your husband Sometimes you don't know if he's going to take the lead and maybe he hasn't yet and you're still waiting. Maybe he's not being as loving and kind at home. And you say, I don't, if I do this, I feel like I'm letting go. 
I feel like I'm just surrendering into this abyss of hopelessness. Let me remind you, you have the most powerful picture in your response. Because when you and I, as people of faith, in our walk with Jesus... Have you ever walked into a moment with him where you weren't sure what the outcome was going to be next? Have you ever walked into a moment where you weren't sure if he was going to provide? Where you weren't sure that there wasn't going to be some tension and conflict? Where you weren't sure what was going to be next and you said, God, I'm just going to trust you and walk on into this situation because it's what you've said. Ladies, this is where you have the most powerful moment to say, I don't know what's going on in my husband's head. I don't know what's going on in his heart. But I will trust you, God, to know that he is in your hands. And I'll pray and I'll trust you first. When a wife does that and she truly puts him first, then she paints this beautiful picture to her children to those around of peace in her life. Peace that passes understanding. She's able to be loving in her words and in her conduct even if her husband's not fulfilling his role. You see, Peter would write in his letter that if a woman is married to a man and he is an unbeliever, He says she should show by her conduct the presence of God in her heart, the trust that she has in him, not in him. And it says this so beautifully. It says when he sees this, it's very possible that he will be one to the Lord without a word having been spoken just by the very character and conduct of her life, by the fact that he will see that what God says is first. So when she does this and she gets all of her life in order, when she puts Jesus first and says, if I'm going to have a desire, I want it to be backseat to the front seat of what Jesus has called me to. If I have a priority It takes backseat to what Jesus has called me to as a wife. I want to show my husband and my children and my family and my church and my world what it looks like for us to love Jesus in the way he has loved us. This is our calling. You might say, well, man, That's so counter to the culture today. That's right. It is. The culture has no care today for the gospel. The culture has no care for the picture. The culture is trying to dismantle it and distort it. But you and I are called to put first things first. To put life in order. And when husbands and wives choose to do this, when they both say, I will live my life according to what Jesus has said first. I will let him determine my thoughts. I'll let him drive my words. 
I'll let him drive my attitudes. I'll let him drive my expectations. I'll even let him drive the priorities. Then, then we paint a beautiful picture. When a man does this, his life will then demonstrate the very love of Jesus to the world around us. When a wife is doing this, she will be a very powerful picture of what it means to be the bride of Jesus, redeemed, loved, and these two become one in the gospel's sake and for the power of this message. And then the world looks and says, wow, their marriage is such a powerful picture of joy and peace and the presence of God because they chose to put first things first. Now, it may be that you look at this and say, man, that would have been awesome to hear about 20 years ago. That would have been great to set through some premarital counseling to explain those things. That would have been great to be a part of a group of friends who modeled those things, but that wasn't my story. I get it. But remember, what's happened in the past is the past, and there is forgiveness for that past. We're not here to dwell on the past. We're here to focus in on our responsibility from this point forward. So, I'm reminded of a story from the Old Testament in which the people of God had found themselves far from first things first. In fact, they had drifted so far that worship was no longer central. The temple had been destroyed. The law of God was no longer the driving force in the land. Instead, it was everybody else's opinions, everybody else's ideas, and everybody did what they really wanted on their own. They didn't care really what God said. And they were far from God. And these were his own people. But God kept drawing, calling them. And one day, they responded. And they were broken over their sin. And said, God, what have we done? We've become the laughing stock of other nations. In fact, other nations have come in and taken us over. We've become slaves of so many other things. And they said, we come to repent. We come to change God, to do what you say is first. And the Bible tells the story of how they began to rebuild the temple as the, the basis of life, the center of life, putting first things first. So the sacrifices were reinstated and the priesthood was reinstated and there was order into the society. And as they began to do that, they found a copy of God's law and they began to read it publicly to the people and the people were in shock. They couldn't believe what they were hearing because they were hearing the very words that said, if you don't put first things first, here's what's going to happen to you. You'll experience pain in your marriages, pain in all your possessions, pain in all you set your hand to. Whatever you try to do, you'll be frustrated by. And they identified with all of it. And then they read the promises that went with it. And they saw what God had promised he would do when they put first things first. And they all came together in brokenness and prayed and repented and committed to let God 
be first in their lives and especially in their homes. So today, we're at a point in our nation where the message of the gospel is not nearly as attractive at other times as it has been. It's not nearly as uh, poignant. And I believe in part it's because of how we've lived for some generations. And it's time for us as the church, the ones handed the truth, the ones with the power of the Spirit to live within us, to come to the place where we say, it's no longer what I want. It's no longer how I would do it. It's no longer my own expectations, no longer my own will, no longer my own way of doing it, no longer what I saw my dad do and granddad do. I'm ready for a brand new model. Jesus has become my model. And I will put first things first. For husbands, there's a calling in that. For wives, there's a calling in that. And he invites us to that place of repentance. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to open up this front area here. And I would invite you, couples, come pray. Seek the Lord. You may pray in silent. You may pray out loud, whatever it is for you. Seek the Lord. Change your ways. Be transformed by him. Commit to putting first things first. You may be here this morning and you don't have your spouse with you. Come pray. Pray for her. Pray for him. Pray for wherever they are in this moment. If there needs to be reconciliation, pray that would happen. If there needs to be a change of priorities, pray that would happen. God will move and will respond to the heart that puts first things first. Bow your heads with me. Father, we are challenged today by your word. We know it is true. I thank you that you've called us to a holy calling. You've called us to something bigger than perhaps we've understood, something greater than we've known. And we come today to say, forgive us for what we've done, for distorting the model, for perverting the image. Today, we come to put first things first. We come to commit. We come to serve. We come to love. As husbands, we come to be the model of you loving on this earth, Jesus. As wives, come to say, we are here to show what it looks like for us to respond to Jesus. And I pray that this moment would be one that transforms us all, changes us, to become as you have designed us to be, living with first things first. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. What a powerful message that was today. Powerful things learning about the roles of a husband and wife in marriage. We're so glad that you watched along this morning. Make sure that you click like and subscribe down below and we'll see you next week.